You're listening to Post Dramatic Stress, hosted by Charlotte D. A weekly podcast to connect creatives and communicate about the highs, lows, and laughs of being in a creative industry. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Post Dramatic Stress. Um, I'm joined again today by my wonderful co-host, Isabella Jacqueline, who I lovingly call Bella. Hi, Bella. How are you going? I'm very good and I'm mortally offended that I'm still not included in your intro, Charlotte. I know. I mean, this is episode 12. It's. I think it's official. I think Bella is a part of the furniture and um, you're officially my regular and ongoing co-host. So look forward to that next week. A new oh. intro with Bella included and we'll make it extra fireworky. Overwhelming. But, but today, yes, today yes. we have another wonderful person um, sitting with us at the moment, and her name is Annie Murtar Monks. Hi, Annie. How you Hello. Going? How are you both? Good. Two very... gorgeous women <laughs> to sit with. Or three. <laughs> or three, you might say. Um, we're super excited. I'm super excited. I don't know about you, Bella. I'm just, very excited. I, yeah. Annie's. I, we've both trained with Annie, so we have this sentimental connection happening. Yes. Plus, she's like a. You know, she's a. You know what? She's going to tell what. Tell her about herself because she's <laughs> going to introduce herself way better than we ever she could. She is. We're going to get Annie to introduce herself in a minute. If you don't know Annie and you're in Perth, I'm, I would be surprised. But if <laughs> yes. if not, um, you're about to find out who she is and why it's so important to listen to what we're um, going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about things like uh, the casting of actors. We're going to talk about diversity in film. And we're going to talk about um, something that's quite important at the moment and you know, previously to now, uh, dealing with intimacy on set as an actor. But first of all, Annie, tell us about you. Who are you as a human and and what do we need to know about you? Wow. Um, Well, me as a human. I suppose in a nutshell, I started my working life as an actor Mm -hmm. um, and worked professionally, went to NIDA, did a three-year acting degree there, worked as an actor, um, fell in love with a West Australian moved to Perth Mm. and I told him for two years only and that was 31 years ago. I fell in love with Perth as well. I'm so glad you did. (laughs) I was looking for out of love with Perth but you came here. No, I love, I love Perth. It's it's a a special and unique Western Australia. We grow very talented actors here too. Um, And I was working as an actor on one of the television series that were being produced and I was playing a lead role in it. I was also hired as acting coach on it and the television production company asked me to cast their next TV series and at that stage as an actor I wasn't looking for a change in career but I I gave it a go and it went well and um, the 26 episode series I cast ended up being successful and it went into three lots of 26 eps and they asked me to keep casting more things so I took myself off the market as an actor became a casting director and continued as an acting coach and have been doing that now for uh, 30 years forever (laughs) so yeah that's why people know me because I mean I'm old and I've been doing it a long long time because you're one of the few people that are here for us in Perth as Perth creatives yes so yeah yeah yeah. that's really special believe in fate but that almost sounds like that was just meant to be like your pathway was just I love it when things just was all uh, just building to the same point yeah what's the word serendipitous serendipitous absolutely Yeah. yeah look I think it is and I'm really grateful because I know when I first moved here, um, I just I kept seeing so many talented actors working in theatre, but at that stage, the casting was all done out of Sydney or Melbourne um, by casting directors who were very talented but were unaware of the actor skill of actors here in Perth for the most part. Mm. And a lot of the actors at that point because they only tended to act in theatre, when they had the opportunity to audition or screen test for a film or television role, they would often give a theatre-sized performance and therefore they wouldn't get Mm, cast. And it was a a kind of chicken and egg situation, Mm. which was another reason why a director who was a mate of mine, he had been studying at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School at the time that I was finishing at NIDA and Mm. then I ended up working and acting in their short films. He had moved to Perth as well and we both decided that it would be wonderful if 
actors here understood more about director's skill and directors understood more about the actor's craft. Yes. And that's when we started way back in 1992, um, pack screen workshops, which you two have come to yes, and have been have. going ever yes. since. And I'm Proud. coming next weekend. <laughs> you this are weekend. You? Yeah. Yeah. You're getting one up on me? This is not fair. <laughs> I am. Not happening. Tell us a bit about that. What What, what is the Perth Actors Centre? What, what is PAC? Well, um, because we both at the pub complained <laughs> that directors don't understand actors and actors didn't understand directors, we decided to run a course where we brought directors filmmakers and actors together into the one workshop Mm. and we did that as a one-off 10-week course but it had such an impact on the people who did it that many of them kept collaborating Mm. and they went on and made short films that got into the New York Film Festival and a lot of those original people contacted me and said oh can you do more of these and then by that stage Ross, Ross Hutchins was my colleague who um, co-founded the PAC workshops with me. He had moved and, and was working for Screen West, so he couldn't do it. And he said, you go ahead and keep running these. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And so we, I just run them when my work schedule allows. Mm-hmm. And I still lecture at WAPA too in screen acting and have done that since 1996, so yeah. Yes. Really keeping bases covered with <laughs> yeah. knowing all the actors as well. Which it's, is... it's a great, well, look, it's one of those things that I'm always making it very clear to people that there's obviously never preference given to people that I've trained in acting um, because I am never the final, as casting director, I'm never the final decider as to who gets cast. Yeah. But I know myself from when I was acting, if you haven't been in front of a camera in the last few months, you are going to be self-conscious and more nervous when you do get the opportunity to audition or screen test. And therefore, it's a no-brainer. Also, being able to get people to collaborate together is really profoundly important. And that's been one of the joys of starting those workshops over the last several decades to see how many filmmakers and directors have ended up collaborating with actors and creating... I mean, we've got one this week where Stevie Cruz Martin and Daniel Monks um, did our workshops together, met, went on and made 10 short films together, then went on and made their first micro-budget feature film together, which has won uh, awards, got into international film festivals and is having its first screening back here in Perth. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I'm really proud because I was also executive producer on that and casting director. And that was a film that was made with no government funding whatsoever yeah and was made on the smell of an oily rag <laughs> i love i think i think yes i think we've had um a few podcasts now and out of most of them there's been this general theme of how important like you're saying the connection is between the acting community and the film community because that is literally how we work as actors if, if we can't collaborate and have new experiences and, and I, I think especially in today's society the way the world's changing we we do have to be the driver of our own career mm-hmm. so having these opportunities like pack lab mm. to, to come and collaborate or I think that's why I wanted to do this podcast I just want to create more mm. connection between people mm. I think it's amazing I think it's so important and with Perth as well being so small mm. it is quite important that we all know each other and I think mm. that you know, a lot of people book work or everything, you know, keep their experiences alive and stuff by collaborating mm. together and all being very close. And everyone, the saying is everyone in Perth knows everyone in Perth. So I think it's very important to get, especially for newer actors, to get into that mm. circle. So doing things like Annie's classes, they're really helpful to really get your foot in there. Mm. I think also it, any creative person is probably going to do... Uh, be enabled to do their best work if they know the people they're collaborating with or Mm. if they have a common sense of vision or um, points of reference Mm. to the people they're working with. And therefore, if directors and actors have already developed a rapport together, it's going to make 
it easier to work together. It's going to make yeah. it more enjoyable and it's almost, it's not surprising that directors will often choose to work with actors they've worked with before mm. because they have already that rapport. And that takes so much time to build. So, yeah, it's such mm. a gift. I was literally working with um, Reg Skorko last yes, night. Oh, <laughs> We're doing a short film at the moment. Oh, and I, I met Reg in your classes. Yes. So. And he's still doing them too. Yeah. Really talented, yeah. Reg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. there you go. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it true. really does happen. <laughs> um, we're so excited to have you for your experience, Annie. Um, but I especially thought it would be useful for people listening to a podcast um, who are new actors or experienced actors um, to talk to you about your work as a casting director mm-hmm. and in particular things like but some people I think don't even understand like what is the casting process like mm. what is it what happens what what is your role and what is our role and mm. where does it go wrong yeah, what's the common <laughs> etiquette <laughs> that sometimes we accidentally overstep yeah I don't think many actors overstep I think there's there are it's really funny a lot of people often refer to what I do as being a casting agent and it's one of those things that it's really funny mm. that um I never call myself a casting agent because an agent receives a commission from what someone, what an actor earns. And an agent is someone who works on behalf of the actor and basically negotiates on your behalf when you get an offer. Um, I and my colleagues in the industry in Australia call ourselves either casting director or casting consultant because we work on behalf of the production company, the director or the producer, mm-hmm. and and our job is to try and help secure the, the, the best cast for a project on the budget that they can afford. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and in many ways, we act, I suppose, as a conduit because um, part of what I need to do is be aware of as many actors as possible and the skill of those actors yeah. and to be able to see them in various different things, which is why I go all the time to see actors performing in plays, yeah. in short films and on judge film festivals, etc. And I'm seeing a play tonight mm. um, in at uh, Black Swan State Theatre Company. All the time being becoming more and more familiar all the time with the actors who are around. Yeah. And so that when there's a project to be cast, I get contacted and sent a copy of the script I read that and reread it, read it several times, and then I meet with the producer and the director in the hope of and in gaining uh, a clear idea of what their vision is, yeah. uh, what their aspiration is, um, and although we may not, the project may not be able to afford Hugh Jackman mm. and Kate Blanchett, working out what is important and what what will work for that particular project. So getting an idea of their creative vision and also then being aware of what their financial capacity is and what budget they've got and all of Mm. that. And then being able to uh, suggest actors and collaborate with that producer and director who might be suitable for the different roles. Mm. And if those actors are well-known or who, who already have a body of work that you can easily watch their acting on uh, existing films or television series um, to send a copy of the script to their agent. And if those high-profile actors are interested in the project, then securing a letter of support, which can then help the producers to um, secure more funding for their project sometimes. Oh, okay. So that can be powerful. Mm. But then also for a lot of projects... Um, that are shot in Australia, they don't have big budgets and often they can't afford marquee name actors who yeah. who could pull box office um, into the project. And so then it's also about uh, contacting all of the reputable actors' agents and letting them know about the project, the roles we're casting, and requesting that certain actors um, that the director would like to... Uh, audition, yeah. Uh, organise those screen tests and auditions, and uh, run those in whatever way the director would like 
to yeah. run. Then we often uh, do callbacks uh, or what's sometimes referred to as chemistry reads where if there are two actors um, who are shortlisted for lead roles and you want to see mm. how they might um, interact and and what how they might work together on screen, yeah. bringing them together and doing that callback. And then... Um, uh, basically from there helping the final um, casting to be uh, finalised and down to deal memos and contracts. Does that answer your question? Um, what process yes, that very answers, specifically. Yeah, that's wonderful. Brilliant. I think that would be so helpful. When I first um, decided I wanted to move out of some music and get into screen acting, I had no idea. I didn't know any of that. So just mm. if you're listening, just to know that, or even if you're an experienced person, you may not be aware of all of those steps and the why, particularly when you were talking about, you know, sometimes people getting in these bigger name actors or, you know, the letter mm. of support because it increases mm. their budget. That's a really interesting mm. sort of tidbit of information to know. Mm. Sometimes I think, you know, there's this feeling in Perth where people think that it's always cast with people from Sydney or people that they're known, but, but probably perhaps that's part mm. of the reason why, I don't know. Because people in Sydney potentially have the bigger names sometimes just because yeah. they're over there because there is a lot more work, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Not saying that you can't book stuff from Perth, but if you're booking a lot, you probably would be based in Sydney. Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And a lot depends, I think, on who casts a project too. That's why, I mean, I I do think that it's useful for me to be based here in WA because it gives me, and this is, you know, it's project shot in WA that are my interest and what I work on. Um, and because of that, I'm very aware of the actors who are here. I'm also very aware of actors who are in around Australia. Yeah. And um, the most recent project I cast, which is The Heights, 30-episode TV series that Matchbox Pictures made um, for the ABC, which um, I think I can say that there's yeah. <laughs> a, a second series. Well... Ooh, I've um, heard rumours that there's some auditions in the next couple of months or really? something. Someone mentioned to me last month, <laughs> last month, last night, they mentioned to me that. So Just don't go harassing Annie because then we'll be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that is not the way. Um, yes, yeah, so um, at this stage, it's it's really exciting that mm. the, the the Heights went to air, was really well received, got great reviews and good ratings, and um, which is wonderful. So in that type of project, it was huge um we had a hundred crew work on that i think there were around about nearly 96 speaking roles that we um had made decisions and got approvals for some of those roles um ended up being cut so there were a few less um in the in the final um 30 episodes first 30 episodes but of those all but five actors came from Perth. It's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, that's And that's why we're yeah. hearing so much about the heights around Perth because so many people yeah. were on it. And that, I think, mm. created a whole new viewing audience because yeah. everyone in Perth was like, mm. we have a friend or a relation on this mm. show. We want to see it. So mm. in a way, that was a fresh casting move which maybe mm. increased an audience that might not have engaged yeah. so much. And also this particular project has a huge amount of diversity mm. because the producers, Matchbox Pictures and the ABC executive producers were very keen for the the series to represent modern Australia. Mm, yeah. And so we had a hugely diverse cast. We had um, a, a Persian refugee family. We had an um, Indonesian, sorry, Vietnamese family, an Aboriginal family, a girl, a character with cerebral palsy, and mm. I cast an actor who has cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, and so each of those, I needed to find people who were authentically from that cultural background. Yeah. We couldn't cast a Eurasian woman in the 50-year-old Vietnamese um, mother's role, um, and there were no 50-year-old Vietnamese actresses in Australia. Anywhere. I looked everywhere. And so I had to then go to the Vietnamese community and put out the call and then uh, audition lots and lots of Vietnamese women. And we ended up finding uh, a wonderful, talented um, 
uh, gal, Karina, who had never acted before, and then I spent several months giving her training because I was acting coach on the series as well. She's so sassy and sarcastic. I love her. I and think she's it's amazing. It's so refreshing that things like that, like diverse casting choices, are meaning that people who maybe never would have got the chance to mm. act before are suddenly being pushed into the forefront and we're seeing all this diversity on screen. Yeah. It's really refreshing yes. because for so long, minorities have been really brushed over our screens. It's like, nah, they don't exist. We're not going to acknowledge yeah. that. And now all these actors who potentially 10 years ago might have struggled to get work or maybe even never had their career take off, yeah. now they can. And yes. there's that avenue for them. And it's really refreshing. It's great. It's terrible being, you know, Caucasian actors right now. But at least we're not <laughs> Caucasian know. straight guys, the so we're fine. isn't working for me anymore, but that's all right. <laughs> but it's okay because we need that shift as well. So it's really yeah, I'm very thankful, yeah. Very and I think it's important for our current society to be represented authentically on screen and on our stories being yeah. told because the same as culturally diverse um, and racially diverse um, casting also um, diversity in terms of um, sexual orientation in terms of disability all of those things I think are really important as Mm -hmm. well you know and things are starting to shift because if if you come, if you are different to perhaps um, the white Anglo-Saxon background, and you never see yourself represented on screen, it's very hard for you to ever uh, think or aspire to being able to go into a creative field like acting. Mm. If those roles have never represented, well, it feels like you're a minority and you're not wanted because yeah. you look at our screens, which is like our silver screens that we idolise, and you're like. I'm not there. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not part of this picture. It's yeah. a missed opportunity and as well, though, for the so the people creating the work exactly. because exactly. you're not. You're not giving. You're not. You're not engaging your full potential well, audience. Well, the idea is to move people, right? And mm. you're you're missing out on moving like a whole oh. group of people. Like you're right. just. It, it's it's madness. I, I'm glad it's starting to change. And also, I think, and I I must commend Matchbox Pictures because the projects that they make are fantastic in this area it also helps to create the possibility of greater harmony in our communities yes you know when we actually see positive representations of people living together and getting on well and helping each other and caring about each other and Mm. having compassion those things have to be positive things, I think, mm. and also be compelling drama. Yeah, well, otherwise where do we see these images of people coexisting and getting along? Mm. And yeah, and it's... I think a lot of the younger generations as well both space their moral code and what they think is normal on stuff that they see on screen. Yeah. And so we really need to be painting a good example because, you know, that whole techno obsessed generation yeah. is looking up at that and we could raise either a generation of people that are really going to make a difference or a generation of monsters depending on what we show them yeah. actually on that note we were really keen to talk about in the wake of the whole me too movement and things you know diversity has shifted in a great way but so has you know the fact that now women are having a voice we understand women's rights more and how's like that affected our creative industry in perth yeah look uh, i think um it's profound what has happened uh in the last few years in relation to the me too movement i also think that it's been long overdue and wonderful that our industry is now becoming far more acutely aware that we have a responsibility and a duty of care to make our work environments as safe as possible Mm. and to minimise the risk of sexual harassment. Um, I I was really fortunate uh, at the end of last year and earlier this year to have some professional development training with um, a wonderful woman called Ita O'Brien, an English woman who has, along with other intimacy coordinators has developed a set of onset intimacy guidelines and I went and trained with her to become an intimacy coordinator myself because I've had a background as an acting coach for decades Um, and I found this is just such common sense and so valuable Mm -hmm. and so these guidelines are now being adopted by various um, associations in Australia 
um, already places like Screen Australia, which is the major funding body, government funding body for film and television in Australia, has adopted a code of conduct which requires producers and production companies to provide a safe work environment and to minimise the possibility of sexual harassment. Um, MEAA, the Actors' Union, uh, has also... um, uh, has also adopted guidelines and has um, uh, policies in relation to sexual harassment. And I'm on the National Executive of the Casting Guild of Australia and we've just recently developed our own uh, sexual her- her anti-sexual harassment policy um, and guidelines, mm-hmm. procedures, and, and part of that has been also recommending the, the intimacy on set guidelines as well. It's crazy that... It just, it, I guess we're so aware of things now, but it just blows my mind that that hasn't existed before. How has that not existed before? How have we been doing, especially as an actor, we don't work regular roles. We have to get intimate with people sometimes, kiss, sex scenes, whatever. Mm-hmm. How has this never been talked about and blocked? And, and it's interesting because there are so many cases of people where, you know, it's a fine line when you go too far in those sort of situations. Mm-hmm. And if there's been nothing in place this whole time, how is anyone supposed to even know that they've crossed it? Exactly. And so it's all about having uh, a set out procedure that can enable the actors to give consent to where they're comfortable in being touched in in the way that um, uh, an intimate scene might be performed. And it's almost the same as if you had a fight scene, Mm. you would have... Uh, a fight coordinator yes. or a stunt coordinator there for the safety of your actors and you would choreograph it and you would practice it well very similarly this is a this is a um, a, a clear uh, process and procedure where you can in a very brief um, quick and, and efficient way work out okay Where are you comfortable? Mm. Uh, Are you comfortable if your fellow actor touches your shoulder? Are you comfortable if your fellow actor touches the side of your Mm. your back? Are you comfortable if we um, embrace with our our chest touching? Are you comfortable? A whole lot of things like that and very um, logical, simple things like if there's kissing, you don't have tongues, you know, you don't, um, you know, invade the other person's yeah, mouth with yeah. your tongue. If there are going to be simulated um, sex where it is as if people are having intercourse, you have intimacy coverings and genitals never, ever touch. Um, you know, just simple things mm. that help to allow the actors a level of comfort and um, security that they can then trust and then they can feel comfortable in doing the scene. I mean, I know most actors, and when I was an actor, if you went to, if it, if you were doing a scene and it said, and they kiss, there would be a part of you going, uh, what are we going to do at this point? And, yeah. you What's know, is kiss? this, you know, what kind of, you know, and is someone going to freak me out? Yeah. And you that know? feeling of, well, you know, you've just got to go with it and it needs to be real. So that that means we have to be real. And And sometimes directors, I find, can shy away from that as well or in the past. So it's like, okay, and this part, yeah. Just do it it yourself. And then the actors (laughs) are left kind of like, what do we do? And then it's a horrible feeling because not only have both, you know, if it's two females, two guys, two girls, a guy and a girl, not only are both actors left feeling vulnerable and panicked. Yes, Yes, they don't yes. want to cross lines. Yeah. They don't. They're terrified, yes. and no one's there to guide them. Absolutely, and this is one of the things that Isa O'Brien says that you know there's a very fine line between being open and being vulnerable. Mm. Being open means that you can you have a comfort level, you have a trust level because you have agreed and you know mm. what to expect and you know how far things can go in what direction and you don't have to worry at the back of your mind. Being vulnerable is where you aren't comfortable and where there is a risk of there being um, uh, a level of feeling abused or uh, feeling exploited. Mm. Um, also, these onset intimacy guidelines are actually really beneficial not only for the actors but for the director and for the rest of the crew because many times crew members also feel acutely uncomfortable if yeah. they 
don't know if someone if something is is happening that that someone is potentially being exploited or abused as well and then they felt they've just sat there and watched yeah. it and filmed it potentially and yeah. not been aware yeah mm. and so it's another way of helping everyone feel comfortable and it also relieves this whole process and protocol that ETA has developed it takes the onus off the actors from worrying about feeling like they have to expose what their own personal sexual experience is and it separates it so that it's like a dance what's happening and your point of reference isn't your own personal sexual experience but it's about let's choreograph this like a fight or a dance so that everyone knows what's going on and it's not something where it's feeling irky or Mm. creepy (laughs) <laughs> or exploitative. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder, because there'd be directors that, you know, they, they, we, let's say they, they've adopted these new um, principles and, and rules and then they're choreographing this scene. How would it work? I don't know if you have the answer to this question. If both actors are then attacking, for example, a kissing scene and the director's like, oh, I'm, they just don't like the way they're kissing. What, like, how would they... Yes. You mean the director doesn't think it's working? Yeah, so they're looking at it. Oh, you can adjust it and change it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but with consent. Yeah. So that you actually uh, are able to collaborate and negotiate and go, Mm -hmm. okay, can we do it this? But from what I've noticed in just in putting this protocol into place myself so far, I find that it actually is really useful Mm. for scenes because it gives the actors a sense of comfort that they can live the moment and they can trust and they can and yeah. and they can be very um um honest and real without having to have that actors um you know fear at the back of their head yes. of oh how is this going to look and where is this because yeah. it's in a way you know, they've connected disconnected themselves emotionally in a way too so they can look at it from a professional point of view and they can discuss it with the director like they can work out. a scene yeah. and it works and they can work out with the director what might work on screen too like yeah. what might work well mm. um and also be aware that if they're doing a scene where there's nudity or partial nudity they know that there's not going to be some incredibly embarrassing or uncomfortable position of the camera Mm-hmm. you know that's going to make them feel yeah, horrible violated. you know later yeah. on when it goes to air because these are all part of the the guidelines that that there are agreed camera setups and stuff like that in fact yeah. interestingly i was reading an article only the other day about an actress in america thank god not australia but she had filmed a production um and one of the producers had felt very guilty and said look i really think you should insist on seeing the rough cut before it goes to screen and the way she was depicted, she'd only given but not written consent, unfortunately, to certain parts of her body. They had full frontal nudity, but from the most unflattering angles you could oh. possibly imagine. So it became like a whole case. Um, and I think they lost it. I think, unfortunately, they lost it. And that's a good thing that things like this mean that that can't happen again. Mm, and absolutely. I think that is so important. Because something like that, you know, emotionally, we're emotional beings and you can sometimes not recover from something like that. Absolutely. You can feel scarred. And traumatised, absolutely. And look, some of the recent court cases in Australia, I would suggest wouldn't have happened if there had been intimacy guidelines established in some of those theatre productions in advance Mm. and agreed processes um, that a stage manager could um, be there and aware. Little simple things like... You know, uh, putting in a script and they make love and then a director saying to two actors, will you go off and work out how you want to do that, is a bit like putting in a script and they sing a song Mm. and then saying to the actors, you go and learn how to work it out. (laughs) You know? I mean... um, What song? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, um, you know, part of the guidelines is that you don't ever have just two actors rehearsing a scene on their own. There's always a third person there. There's always someone. So it's professional and not personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just some really 
really common sense things. You know? Especially yeah. for really method-based actors who are like, well, it's oh. just, you know, I have to be in it. It has to be real or whatever it is. That's just, that's terrifying yeah. for someone who's not. Mm. Yeah. I'm not so I am quite method, actually. But, you know, for someone no, who I, isn't, that would be awful. Because I've they're been just in gonna... situations even where I'm not a very method actor at all. I'm very quite technical in the way I approach a scene. And, you know, being in situations with more method actors and feeling very intimidated because... You know, I think as people, we have that facade of we, we're in charge, we know what we're doing, we're confident. But then you're in a situation, you suddenly feel like it's all sapping away and it's like, that, do control. I check this or am I just being irrational? Mm. And so I think you felt the, vulnerable. Very. Mm. And I think the, gui- the thing with these sort of guidelines is you know, uh-oh, we're now crossing a line and we both know that. Like with all the sexual harassment cases and that, some of them I 100% believe that they were probably with malign intention and they're legit. But I'm sure there's some where the proposed person who conducted the sexual harassment did not feel like they were sexually harassing the person because guidelines weren't clear and they didn't know they were crossing a line. So Mm. now we don't have that excuse anymore Mm. and it's... Mm. It's going to be a lot cleaner. Mm. So it's supportive for men. I, I feel like yeah, you know, it's, it's a confusing absolutely. world for men. It, it, it is it in is. some ways. Like the rules are changing and this there's things that they should have known for a long time and it yeah. should have been obvious. But also now they can feel supported and know exactly what to do and exactly. where they stand as well. they so know it's not their just rights about as well. Just as yeah. well as ours, they know theirs. They can look at it and go, all right. And they might feel just as vulnerable. I think I'm we often sure. assume absolutely. that men don't and they do. You know, oh, look, yeah. if you're a male actor and you have to play a scene where you your character is raping another person yeah you know that must be really traumatic um, could be potentially really upsetting and difficult for the actor to do um and so having this as a way of being able to um simply and effectively establish um a choreography for that where Mm. people are not feeling vulnerable and they're not feeling in danger of being um assaulted or exploited or whatever is really important i think for males and females yeah, yeah. equal rights <laughs> equal it rights. really is equality it's something that started out about women has now become something that really just protects everyone mm, and we, sure. that's what we need we need a protective safe environment so that people because i think a lot of people are now looking at the entertainment industry and going oh yeah mm. that industry oh you want to be an actor <laughs> exactly yeah. but i think we can now establish that we are an industry that we've got our guidelines we've got our mm. rights we're in control we know what we're doing and we're just as professional as every other workplace mm. and i think that's a good thing for our industry as a whole as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I come, as a casting director, I come from an industry where the kind of decades ago, the joke about the casting couch and, you know, people being exploited um, for mm. sexual favours and stuff like that. I mean, it's creepy and and I think it's wonderful that... Um, our casting guild has gone to the trouble and hired lawyers, etc., to be able to establish our own set of guidelines mm. to help avoid um, any kind of um, risk of exploitation in the whole auditioning and casting process as well. You know, I think that's really important. It is. Mm. Yeah. And it's- oh, sorry. You want to say something else? No, <laughs> no really in fact, can you say something? Because I don't know how much time we have left. I know. So. We are getting to the... Well, we've got a little while. Um, we do? I wanted Wonderful. to step back. You were just talking about casting again. There's, there's two things. I, I let the conversation evolve because it was going in a really nice place. I didn't want to interrupt it. But I did want to just step back into casting just for a minute because you mentioned it. Um, but in particular, I think what I would love to know is, can you tell us... Um, we talked about etiquette and what happens in the casting process, but what are some of the, maybe the behaviours and choices the actors might make in the casting room that prevent them from landing a role, would you say? Good question. Um, I think the things that I would love to communicate to your viewers and listeners who are actors is for them to remember and remind themselves that when they get a screen a screen test or audition, it's because someone thinks they're right for the role. Mm. So the casting director That's is so on their side. Yeah. We want you as an actor to do your best possible work because you make us look good then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to encourage, enable, support and help you to do a fantastic screen test because then you solve our problem. 
And our mm. problem is we need to find a wonderful actor who is going to bring this character to life. Now, I often get a sense that actors come to an audition or screen test feeling like they're going into a high school test. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've done that. I, I, I feel that's relatable <laughs> yeah. as an yeah. actor, actually. Yeah. yeah. And do you know what? That is not the case. Mm. And the more you can take the attitude, today I get to do what I love doing. Yeah. Today I get to act. And it's my audition or my screen test, and I am going to go and claim it. Mm. And if I walk into it and I want to do it seated, I'll ask the casting director, do you mind if I do this seated? Or if I want to bring along a good mate to read opposite me, I don't know about other casting directors, but I'm more than happy for you to bring whoever you want to play opposite you. I'm also more than happy for you to bring props that you might want to bring with you. I'm, I personally am more than happy to answer any kind of questions in advance that, a direct, that an actor might have about a role or about a project that if they want clarification before they come for a screen test or interview mm. because I want you to be fantastic. I want you to do your best work. Yeah. So that, I think, is a really valuable one to keep in mind, mm. someone thinks you're right for the part because we don't want to waste our time or your time by bringing someone in who is not suited. Having said that, there are many, many times we will screen test people and they may not get cast in that role, but I will end up having a conversation about them if they've done a fantastic screen test, because I always remember brilliant screen tests. I try to forget the shitty ones. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's good. <laughs> but I always remember the really good ones, and yeah. so do producers and directors. And I will often have a conversation with that producer, mm. with my producer or the next producer, about, wow, this actor could be great for this other role. Mm. Let's consider them. And time and time again that happens. Mm. Uh, the other thing that I would say is that for actors to avoid feeling an obsession with what the result might be. Yeah. 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 Just go in and let it Don't go. Don't go in wanting to be perfect. Don't go in obsessing about, God, I want this role. Gee, I'd love this role. God, I hope I get this role. Oh, I really want this role. Because if you're obsessing about that. You won't be in the moment. You can't be in the moment. of the, Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, you can't live and have the freedom to play and be inventive and be creative and take risks mm. and go for it. Yeah? yeah. Now, I used to be an actor, so I know yeah. well that it's we can all know those things intellectually, but it's only with practice makes progress, you know, yeah. that you just have to um, take a moment before you go into a screen test or audition and remind yourself they are not testing my worth as a human being. I know. In it's, it's so hard. <laughs> and they're not even testing your performance, really. No. They're testing if you're right for the Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. They are just trying to see whether you, you might be suitable and the best option to portray this particular character. Yeah. So, of course, you can do things to help your chances. You know, regularly keep your training up, as you two gals do, Um you know, we we never stop learning. I still go mm. and I'm still years, decades, you know, still going and doing drop-in classes and going and auditing um, workshops and courses in London when I was mm. there just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm continually wanting to keep learning because I think that's how you keep fresh and you become aware of new ideas mm. and, and ways. Um, but also... I think allowing yourself the freedom to um, have fun. Mm. If you've got personal issues that are getting in your road, um, life issues, um, go and nurture yourself. Go and get some counselling. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Be compassionate to yourself because artists are special, creative people, um, particularly actors, are being asked to open up and reveal parts of their soul, I think. Yeah. And in order to do that in an honest, 
and giving and generous way, you need to nurture that mm. part of yourself. And know yourself and know because if you can't access your experiences in a healthy way, that's what is going to be bringing, you're going to bring that out visually anyway. And you so need you to know it. yourself so that you've got, because we all have yeah. our own unique selling points. So if yeah. we're ourselves on screen, then there's never another one of us. We have our own yeah. unique take on something. But if we're just trying to imitate other people or we're trying to create what we think we'd like to be, mm. It's always going to come across as a contrived performance ultimately mm. that someone else probably is legitimately that and will by default then do better. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and that's the one thing that's going to set you apart from every other actor is you. I remember you said that before and that's that's one of the things that's locked in my head. I think you said one day there's no one as unique as you are and I was like, yes. Why have I never thought of that before? Walked home, looked in the mirror and went, look at you. Well, it just makes you think, well, what is it about me? What what who am I and what do I what because everyone you see people walk into a room and automatically you're like okay this is the the vibe I'm getting from you and it's not just so you can't play other people but mm. understanding and knowing your uniqueness is such yes. a yeah. gift isn't it you know yes. so I actually have a little question like sure. sort of branching off that um I think as actors when we start tackling a script when we're sent it we obviously read it a few times start thinking how we could play it that sort of thing um what tool options there is you know what's happening in the scene and a lot of people, and a lot of coaches especially, have very varying points of view on this. So from a casting director, mm. I was curious. Some coaches say um, it's written, but you need to sort of go past that because it's, if you play it on page, it's going to be a stereotypical take that everyone does. But then other people say that that stereotypical take is potentially why the script was written that way. So do you believe that we should be kind of playing to, it's going to differ to a degree given our own uniqueness, as we were just saying, but really, you know, seeing what is on script and not delving so far beneath that or trying for our own take on things? Or is that going to backfire in us, you know, giving a performance that is so out of left field and just not what we're Gee, that's a great question, Bella. Um, I think you need to do lots of preparation in in allowing yourself to intellectually understand as much as possible about what's going on in the scene, uh, about the character you're playing. Also, doing a bit of research and being aware of the director that you're going to be auditioning for or who's going to be um, directing this project or the production company who are making it um, and doing a bit of research in that area. And then... I often say to people, start a page or two of questions you want to ask yourself about this character and about this scene and about what's going on. And you won't necessarily have the answers to all of those, but start asking and writing down what the questions are that you're going to start thinking about in relation to it. So that when you go in to do the screen test, You've memorised your lines, but you haven't memorised one set performance. That's really important. Don't lock in one way of delivering a scene. If anything, think of five different ways you might interpret the scene. So that you might go in and initially give um, whatever you feel is your gut instinct is the most authentic for you to interpret it. But then you then have the capacity to do it in a variety of different ways, depending on what direction you're given. And I think that's a big one for actors too, when you give us direction and some people are so set in their perfect performance that they've created oh, yeah. in their mm. mind and you might be like, damn, that's perfect, but I need to see if you can take direction. Yeah. And then the person goes... Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. gives you the exact same performance. And you're like, well, Dad. Because you've yeah. built those rhythms. It's like yes. a river. You've just built like a rut. And you even exactly. if you're trying to interpret it, you'll, your you're mouth stuck. is just like, this is how we and say it. You know? actors, and I will so never nervous. say something's perfect because no. perfect <laughs> yeah. is not what the aim is. It's practice. Yeah, it's yeah. progress. And it's and it's, but it's also living it and, and living it in a way. But the other thing, and just recently in London, this has really reminded me, and the thing that I'm going to focus on in our pack lab, we have a new series of pack labs starting this Thursday night, which is full with a waiting mm. list of pe- uh, people. Um, one thing is that the actor's ca- ability to really listen in the moment. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that we have to keep developing. So we do all the preparation. We do the research so that we have uh, an understanding of the backstory, understanding of who these people might be. But then in the moment, in the scene, you have to be able to take in what you're receiving in that scene and listen and honestly respond to what you're getting because that will show up on camera if you're not. If you're delivering the performance you prepared at home the night before in your bedroom, then you're not in the moment then and the camera will see that. Yeah, and and it would be to... very obvious from whoever your reader is is giving you a certain thing and then you're snapping back with a completely different tool and yeah. everyone's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That didn't yeah. warrant that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you'll see that sometimes. You'll see an actor artificially rev up an emotional, they'll play an emotional response to something rather than living the moment. Yeah. Sometimes smaller and more like more real is best because screen, it's all in on the eyes and everything. Yeah. So if you're actually believing what you're saying... Or at least um, you don't, yeah, you don't need that because you can always say if it needs more, but yeah, it's about overdoing it thoughts, just immediately it? switches you off because you're like, oh, theatre performance mm. is mm. not going to work mm. for film or TV. Mm. And also, if you're there really listening in the moment, it actually frees you up. It makes it easier because you are, yeah, you get out of your head and you're yeah. actually, um, there's that energy that happens between you and the, the other actor that you can, the camera can see in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not thinking about your responses. Yeah. You're having them. You're, yes, you're, you're actually your living thoughts. it. Yeah, 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 you're living it so that yeah. it's not like you are pre-planning in isolation <laughs> how you deliver a line or what you respond. And so it, it allows that every single take will be different mm-hmm. because well, yeah. we never receive exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it shows your capacity to... Um, your, for spontaneity and being in the moment. Mm. Does that answer your question? Very much so. <laughs> okay. We are getting to the 51-minute mark, which oh, I don't think our listeners will mind because it's been amazing it was, it's information. Been a great podcast. But I'm aware of our time <laughs> as humans. Um, so the only thing we haven't there's, – there's a couple of last things to wrap us up. I wanted to talk to you. We were touching on sort of, you know, equal rights in the Me Too movement, and I know um, – you were involved in the WA chapter of the Women in Film and TV. Yes, and yes. I just wanted to mention that quickly or yeah, not so quickly as much as you'd like about no, what look, that is. I'll, and... I'll just very quickly say, um, yes, a few years ago when I was working for the Film and Television Institute, FTI, I managed to get together lots of Sisters of Screen, I called it initially nice. just to bring Aww. together um, females working in the industry and we, uh, I co-founded with a couple of other women our West Australian chapter of Women in Film and Television International. Mm -hmm. Um, We have our own chapter. It's fantastic. It's gone on from strength to strength. And anyone working in the industry, any females can join. If you join now before, because we've now affiliated with the Australian chapter, so we're part of the whole Australian chapter of WIFT, Um, it's only about $45 a year to join. That's right. if you are someone, you can also join if you're not working as an actor or working professionally as a crew or, or member of the industry, you can join as a friend of WIFT, okay. WA as well, and that's even cheaper. And, um, yeah, there's lots of events that we run and advocacy for women working in the industry. And it, it's it's really important, particularly because women often, particularly women who choose to have families and children, it becomes quite challenging for them working in our industry with long shoot days, Mm. um, with, uh, you know, the nature of the industry often is difficult when you've got, um, when you're also a primary carer for for children and offspring. Especially in the initial stages for your breastfeeding, a man just can't do that. (laughs) I mean, you can express, but there are some things that they just can't do, so that's amazing. If we want to find that, where do we go? If you just Google um, Women in Film and Television, Mm -hmm. um, Western Australia, WA, you'll um, find our website. We've also got a Facebook page, and on our website you can actually uh, send in an application um, to become a member. Wonderful. It's wonderful. I think Charlotte and I will be doing that. As soon as I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I might actually. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about PAC and maybe projects that we should be 
reporting in Perth right now, obviously you were mentioning that you are over everything because that is your toolbox. That is no. how you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how you know um, how to cast people and who to cast because you, that you're putting all these people into your mind in your toolbox. But I would imagine there's also a lot of projects that you're aware of that need our support. So I'd be interested to hear anything that you might yeah. want to mention that we should support. Um, look, uh, so... PerthActorsCentre.com.au is is um, the website and we've got uh, this Thursday night, we've got our PAC Lab, which is the Directors and Actors Workshop together. It's full. We've got um, seven fantastic directors, filmmakers in that and um, 14 fantastic actors in that. Yeah. And um, and that starts off, that's already full and has been full for a while. Did you say that was Wednesday or Thursdays? That's on Thursday, Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it changes the, sometimes, doesn't I know. it? No, I'm waiting for it to be on another night because this yeah. year I'm teaching yes. and I'm devastated. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm coming sorry. as soon as we'll it changes. Another. We have to be in the same one again. Yeah, yes. yes. Oh, this yes. is but, where we met, you know, by the way. Just oh, in the inside, inside Yeah, see what you've created. Oh. <laughs> this podcast, as you know it, would not have happened. I love it. It's very true. Actually, that's very true because not only between our connection, but you also have a voice. Over yes, workshop yes, coming, yes, and yeah. that really um, made me want to use my voice more. So, oh, that's so yeah, yeah. That's so, so that one's gorgeous. coming up. That one's not full yet, yes. is it? Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we've got we've got this Thursday night. Pack Lab is starting, but it's full. This weekend, yeah. we've got our um, screen acting boot camp, yes. which you're coming along to, there. and that's full, and we've got five people on a waiting list who couldn't get into that. Yeah. It's been very popular, that, but I really like to keep the numbers, um, you know, concentrated only to 12 people for that. Yeah. Um, and then on June 12th, we've got our next Pack Voice voiceover course, and that's on over six consecutive Wednesday nights, and the final night is in a professional recording studio. Oh, so voice. much fun. I can yeah. vote for that. It really, I had such yeah. a great time, and it's so much more It's so much more than just voice. It really is. Like, yeah. yes, you cover all the technical warm-ups and all that sort of stuff, and you work on your voice and... But I found it, it's just good generally from an acting perspective as well. And, right. yeah, and the, the studio, I get all excited. The studio, the bit at the end with the um, uh, yeah. in the actual studio was my most nerve-wracking but also favourite part. So, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm I glad. highly yes. recommend. That's great. Um, and then my last question to wrap us up, unless there's anything else you wanted to mention that no, you might have missed. Oh, only that there's the screening of Pulse, which oh. is the feature film that Stevie Cruz Martin and Daniel Monks yes. um, uh, made micro-budget film, and it's on this Wednesday night at Lunar Cinemas, Lunar Leaderville. Right. Uh, and we're having a Q&A afterwards with myself and Stevie, who directed it, and uh, Nerelda Jacobs, who is the Channel 10 newsreader, is going to be interviewing us about the film as awesome. well afterwards. Mm. Hopefully there's still some tickets available. Going to yes, they're, they're selling fast, but yes, if you go onto Lunar Leaderville's mm. website um, okay. or onto our Pack Screen Workshop Facebook page, you can get a link to buy a ticket yeah wonderful cool what um, was your question our, our last, favorite question our last and final question um i've we've just decided that this is our recur- recurring question it's how we end every session yeah and the question is what do you wish someone had told you when you first started your career as a creative person wow yeah it's a hard it's one fun. i feel like no, i should prepare great people <laughs> it is a great question um that never ever give up mm. because you will go through times in your creative life where you will have downtimes, where you'll have challenges, but there will always be commensurately up times to balance those. Mm. So even if you have crap times, there will be fantastic times. Each year you're in it, it gets easier. You get stronger, um, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think because you get to a point where the result is about the opportunity to express yourself creatively, and that is more important than fame, glitz, money, likes on Facebook or anything yeah. else. I do strongly believe that we're put on this earth and if you have a creative urge, it's because there's something you need to say to the world. Mm -hmm. And when you start to work out what that is and how you can um, honour that, then you add to 
universal consciousness in a positive way. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> that's, thank you. <laughs> Sounds like you girls have worked out that's what amazing. you need to yeah. say. Oh, I do know. I'm on the path. This is helping, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Honestly, um, I feel so lucky, and I know Bella feels yeah, really this, lucky This session was great. You. I'm sure our listeners, it's very insightful, and it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, we've got some more things in the works. Not sure what yet, but there will be more in the works coming up soon. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening if you're listening at home and chat to you soon. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Bye, thank guys you. and gals. Thank you. Bye, Annie. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Post Dramatic Stress. To connect with us or to register to come on the podcast, visit us at www.lettingcharlotteout.com or email us via postdramaticstresspod at gmail.com.